Hello. When the scholar and theologian Erasmus famously said in the early 16th century that in the country of the blind the one-eyed man is king, it's unlikely he could have foreseen how close to the truth this would be on the Greek island of Zakynthos in the year 2012. Incidentally, some of you might know it by its other name of Zanti, which was invented by travel agents who thought the Brits couldn't pronounce Zakynthos even though apparently we don't seem to have a problem with Lanzarote or Fuerteventura, for example. Anyway, I digress. Unless you've been on the International Space Station without radio contact for the last couple of years, which I doubt, you'll obviously be aware of the serious financial crisis in Greece, and possibly of some of the drastic cuts the Greek government has been making in its expenditure to try and avoid economic Armageddon, otherwise known as keeping the bankers happy. One recent way in which the government sought to reduce its outgoings was to check out whether the enormous number of people claiming disability benefits really were, well, disabled. Their suspicions were perhaps aroused when they discovered that there was an unusually high number of people claiming benefits for leprosy and amputations in some parts of the country and on Zakynthos itself, there were 700 registered blind out of a population of less than 40,000. That's about 1.8%. Nine times the prevalence of blindness in European countries according to a 2004 World Health Organization study. Oh yes, and one of the blind people of Zakynthos was found to be a working taxi driver, and another was described as a bird hunter. Is that actually a job? Part of the government's strategy for finding out who was legitimately entitled to disability benefits and who wasn't was to ask all of the country's claimants to re-register in person. This turned out to be quite an effective ploy, as only a 100 of Zakynthos's 700 registered blind people actually turned up. Of these, only 40 were found to be genuinely blind, which rather begs the question... Why did the fraudulent 60 even bother? Did they all arrive wearing dark glasses, brandishing white sticks and bumping into furniture when they came into the office? And how did they get found out? Perhaps when the official had finished filling in the form for each claimant, they passed it to them and asked them to sign it, then waited to see which one said, What, here on this dotted line? Oh, damn, you got me banged to rights. Or maybe the official dropped a 50 euro note on the floor and whoever picked it up was obviously dodgy. When the re-registering process had been completed, one in six claims for disability benefits were found to be fraudulent in the country as a whole, which in cash terms is worth about 110 million euros a year. Quite a big chunk of money, and just one of the many reasons Greece is in the mess it's in today. Cheating the state has become almost a national sport in Greece. But when you know that politicians and government officials have been robbing the country blind for years, excuse the pun, it's not that surprising that ordinary people say to themselves, well, if that lot are all doing it, why shouldn't I? It's also worth mentioning that the vast majority of Greeks make a clear distinction between cheating the state and cheating each other. By and large, Greek people are incredibly honest. When we first came here eight years ago, 
It took us quite a while to get used to the idea that you really didn't need to lock up your house or alarm your car. Even when you went to the beach, you could leave all your valuables while you went for a swim in the certain knowledge that they'd all still be there when you got back. Try doing that in Lanzarote or Fuerteventura, Spain. Speaking of when we first came to Greece, I should probably tell you a bit about what we're doing here and hence what credentials I have for spouting on about the Greek crisis. Incidentally, I assure you I didn't do one of those quotation marks in the air gestures when I said the Greek crisis just then. Billy Connolly says he always wants to break people's fingers off when they do that. Right then, to begin somewhere near the beginning, which was February 2004, I'll have to go back on the promise I made in the first podcast not to bang on about the weather. Sorry, I lied. But these are exceptional circumstances. According to Wikipedia... It's a total myth that the Eskimos, or Inuit to give them their proper title, have lots and lots of words for snow. The Sami do, apparently. They have hundreds. But this is neither the time nor the place to get into a detailed analysis of the language of the indigenous circumpolar people inhabiting a region which today encompasses parts of far northern Sweden, Norway, Finland, the Kola Peninsula of Russia and the border area between south and middle Sweden and Norway. No. The point I'm trying to make is the Greeks don't have many words for snow because they don't come across it very often. Not in the south, anyway. In fact, they have one. Hioni. And translated literally, it means where the did all this white stuff come from? So, Hioni was a word Penny and I heard quite often when we first arrived in Greece. The place was knee-deep in Hioni. The worst Hioni in 30 years. Athens airport closed, roads gridlocked. One of the main reasons we came here was to escape the crap weather. And now here we were in the same bloody Hioni that had stopped the container lorry getting to our house in England when we moved out. But that was Derbyshire, the heart of the Peak District, a thousand foot above sea level in the middle of winter. You expect it, for God's sake. Shed loads of it. But this was Greece the land of sea, sand and perpetual sunshine, where most people thought Jack Frost was a subtitled TV detective and ice was something you put in your ouzo. Penny has always had a reputation for being a bit of a jinx on the weather, and before we left, several people jokingly said they'd probably pick up a paper one day and read the massive banner headline, Greek Tourism Industry Collapses, English woman responsible for worst weather since records began. Fairly amusing at the time, but a lot less funny when we found ourselves slithering around on the ridiculously icy mountain roads of southern Greece at night in our fairly elderly rear-wheel drive VW campervan, trying to remember who the Greek god of slithering campervans was so we could get some serious praying in. It was a bit like being trapped inside a curling stone without having someone in front of you with a brush. Curling, incidentally, is a sport which I once heard described as housework on ice. And as for gritting lorries, forget it. There isn't even a translation for it in my Greek dictionary, and it's a pretty big dictionary, believe me. Anyway, somehow we made it to the house we were renting near a place called Stupa on the Manic. 
If you've got a map or you remember anything at all about the shape of Greece, there's three long pointy bits sticking out of the bottom and the mani is the middle one. Now I think about it, somehow we made it reminds me of a school composition I wrote many years ago where I'd got my hero into a huge cauldron and he was about to be boiled alive by a bunch of cannibals. I'd no idea how to get him out of there, which I had to do because it was the hero who was telling the story. And anyway, I was running out of time. So I just wrote, Somehow he escaped. The end. When I got the essay back, the teacher had scrawled in red ink, An easy way out of a difficult situation. Fair enough, really. But I digress. Again. So there we were in our rented house in the Manny, having driven more than a thousand miles from Calais, in a van that was so packed with essentials you couldn't swing a proverbial cat in it. Actually, we didn't have a cat at the time, proverbial or otherwise, but we did have our Staffordshire Bull Terrier cross called Bessie, although she hated even being picked up, so the swinging experiment was never really a serious option. Getting Bessie to Greece in the first place was a complete nightmare, to put it mildly. But that, as they say, is another story altogether. So too is how we found a place of our own that we could afford, and why it is that in Greece nothing is impossible, but everything is difficult. But that's for another time. Just before I go, though, I ought to mention that you can subscribe to these podcasts through my website at rob-johnson.org.uk When I say subscribe, I don't mean you'll have to pay anything. It just means you'll be notified automatically whenever I post a new podcast and you can unsubscribe anytime you like. You can also leave comments on the website and I hope you will, if only to reassure me that I'm not just talking to myself. To save you rewinding, here's the website address again rob-johnson.org.uk That's rob-johnson.org.uk Thanks for listening, and until next time, cheers. Yasas, que nasta kalah.